0: Hello, and welcome to With the uh, beg your pardon. <laughs> we can always switch it up sometimes.
1: We can, but not this time. <laughs> that's
0: okay. right. it's fine, that's fine. <laughs> You're like, no, I say hello. <laughs> that's me.
1: and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I'm Ruthie Kauprasamoshi.
0: And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about Home Soil. This episode was written by Robert Saburoff, Carl Gears, and Ralph Sanchez, and directed by Corey Allen. It first aired on February 20th, 1988.
1: For today's check-in, I thought we could talk about some of the ways that we sometimes cut corners and why we might feel pressure to do that. And by cut corners, I mean, you know, ignore signs that maybe... Things aren't going as well as they should go, or you know, I- ignore problems that arise because we feel that dealing with the problem will be more of an inconvenience than the problem itself.
0: Yeah, an inconvenience to whom?
1: Uh huh. Yeah. Right. Good question. So one that one thing that really uh, sprang to mind just in the, something that has come up quite a bit, I think, in the last year is thinking about the. Pressure that people have historically faced to work when they are sick. So, you know, we know that people don't work as well when they're sick. And also, like, if you if you have to go into work that you risk spreading that your illness to other people. And in the past, it was like you'd give them a cold or the flu. Um, And then this past year and a bit, we had to really change our practices of that because we could be spreading COVID if if, if if that was what we were sick with, so...
0: I'm interested in why you chose that as an example, because most of the time people would say that, like, calling in sick is the cutting corners. Not coming into work would be cutting the corner.
1: I mean, I would say that that's why people don't call in sick, right? Is that they don't want to be accused of cutting corners. But mm-hmm. in... My experience in teaching, and I bet this is true in other professions, in a lot of ways, like taking time off of teaching is more work than actually teaching because you have to leave a lesson plan that someone else can teach. And you also have to, you know, you want to make sure that whatever you're doing, like, like, is useful to what you to the topic that you're on. But there is also a worry that, you know, the students aren't actually going to learn it or they're not going to do it the way you thought. It should be done, and then maybe you have to redo it or reteach it. So this is something... So it's, it's a big thing in teaching, like taking time off is... It can be really inconvenient to take time off. I guess the corner that, that you're cutting there is with taking care of yourself, as opposed to the job.
0: Yeah, and I think that it's like kind of this idea of work ethic, Yeah. which... You know, is hammered into into people all the time. It's hammered into society this idea of like work ethic. But I think it's almost like a way to gaslight people because, it, in a sense, it's the society cutting corners on taking care of society. Yeah. Versus us being like, no, we always have to come in because otherwise, like our work might be threatened, or we're gonna feel like we're letting coworkers down, and so we're we're always in a continuous cycle of never taking care of ourselves because it's like we're feeling like otherwise we are we are the ones that are cutting the corners. And I think if you look at the way the pandemic was handled, often there was these conversations around like, no, well, for the economy mm-hmm. or for the sake of the economy, mm-hmm. if we're not working for the economy, we are cutting corners because health really isn't a part apparently of the economy, <laughs> which what's like long term that you think of it is, is self-defeating. Totally. It doesn't really make any sense. Totally. Yeah. And it seems that like we want to cut corners or like the way that our societies are set up is we want to cut corners on making sure that people are okay or taken care of or investing in infrastructure or so, yeah, some corners were allowed to cut, but others were, were not. And so it d- depends on what they are and who gets to make that decision, I suppose.
1: So what do you think of as an example of of where we cut corners? And why we feel pressure to do that.
0: Well, you had said, you brought up another example before we started talking was around pipeline construction. Yeah, yeah, and, totally. And, uh, you know, because we, we kind of touched on that in, in the last episode as well. And that sort of overlaps with the the themes of progress in this episode when it comes to terraforming. But it's like what what environmental regulations are we allowed to cut corners on mm-hmm. when we say it doesn't matter or or what what treaties are we allowed to cut corners on when we say oh but it's in the name of progress and then say that like oh well we if we want to meet these deadlines or meet this quota or satisfy these shareholders yeah. we are just going to like drop these environmental regulations we're going to like drop these agreements with people and we're going to utilize what land and resources we need to make this project happen, regardless of the cost that it t- comes to in the long term to the environment, too. Right. I think our whole planet's current situation is from us cutting corners. <laughs> yeah.
1: I also think sort of on the on the idea of progress, when we, you know, do things right from the beginning, say, and consult with, with people and... Uh, and then this is a corner that is often cut, the like consultation or yeah, um, yeah, or you know looking at looking at our treaties or looking at the environmental impacts. Like that is a corner that's also that's often cut. But even aside from that, when we realize, like in the middle of a project, that it is having this effect on the world, uh, once once the sort of and this is what I think comes up in this episode a lot is once the project is put into place then realizing that it causes a problem is like, well, we can't stop doing it because we've already, it's like that that sunk cost fallacy, like we've put so yeah. much time and resources into it, we have to keep doing it, fully ignoring that our main resource is the planet. And if we if we destroy that, it doesn't <laughs> matter what other resources we save, it doesn't matter how much money we save if we don't have a planet.
0: Right, and that just happened. Right? The Keystone Pipeline, yeah. which was stopped. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure the province of Alberta had put, like, over a billion dollars into that project, mm-hmm. and now that money is sunk, like it's right. gone.
1: But that's better than the planet
0: oh, yeah, being sunk
1: and being gone, and yeah. that's... No, I'm not not saying that you don't know that. I know
0: that you know that. No, no, no. Yeah, but I uh, know what's going to happen is that that people that are trying to argue for the continuation of these sorts of projects, or because the province itself has cut corners on investing in other forms of infrastructure or economy, are going to say, but what about that $1.3 billion, right? so yeah. that's, And that's exactly the argument that's going yeah. to be
1: used. Yeah, I was actually listening to a different podcast. i just listening to this yesterday, actually, which is about science and science fiction called Our Opinions Are Correct. And one thing that they were talking about in the most recent episode had to do with uh, science crimes. And they talked about like going... Oh, this
0: sounds fancy. It was
1: really interesting. I want to be
0: a science criminal. Well,
1: okay, so they started <laughs> actually with Galileo.
0: Oh, because as like a heretic.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, nice. he, was, he was like under what, well, like house arrest, right? For mm-hmm. because they thought he was... Yeah, in cahoots with with the devil. Yeah. But uh, then they kind of like fast forward and they kind of looked at like, so science is sometimes criminalized. So that happens when people say, you know, you're not allowed to teach evolution or you're not allowed to teach sex ed or things like that. So that's like science is criminalized. But then there are these other things, these other parts of science that should be criminalized but are totally legal so things like or not necessarily should be criminalized but like shouldn't be legal but totally are so oh, so right. things like, like
0: experimentation yeah, against consent
1: exactly and, yeah. and also destroying the planet right like in in the name of progress and sometimes in the name of science
0: right so like weapons experimentation totally. and like radiation experimentation yeah. that were awful 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 yeah. yeah yeah so
1: so i think yeah the the question of like progress or the the idea of progress really gets um, held up as like the we we need to move forward in the name of progress, but like again, progress for what? For who?
0: For and for whom? Yeah, yeah. who gets to benefit from it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Woof. So. Well, thanks, Galileo, for sticking it out.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: We wouldn't have Star Trek.
1: We wouldn't. It's true.
0: <laughs> I don't think. I,
1: I don't <laughs> actually know. It would look different. I think. Yeah. <laughs> It would just be the Enterprise in the center of the universe with things the center traveling of the universe,
0: around it. We don't need to go anywhere. We're already everything in the comes to us. Everything's great. Yeah, everything comes our way. <laughs> yeah, they would be like the one episode with the Centurions or Centurions or Cytherians, where they have Barkley come to them instead of the opposite. They're at the center of the galaxy. We'll get to that episode <laughs> in a few years. But yeah,
1: <laughs> I love when we have little previews.
0: Previews to come. Yeah. stick with us stick for the next decade. We'll, be, we'll there. be there. We'll be there. We'll get there. We'll get there.
1: All right, should we get into the episode?
0: Yeah, let's do it. So in this episode, the crew investigates a death at a terraforming station on Valera 3 and end up discovering a microscopic life form. Yeah. Mm.
1: This episode, I don't think I saw. I think I, I I only saw it once. And as an adult, I don't think I ever saw it as a kid. Or if I did, I didn't remember it.
0: It's another one of those episodes in season one that where the premise is like really good. And the execution, uh, this one isn't bad. It's more like laughable like it's funny yeah I like it I still like this episode and there's definitely going to be some audio clips from this one making it into the podcast episode fair enough <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> I felt like this was a good episode after the last one the last one had a lot of difficult things to to talk about and this one mm-hmm. feels a lot less difficult
0: similar similar kind of themes though right it's like yeah one civilization and and it's where does it what how like where do its rights start and end over like another's I, I, like the, I like that they go to some of these places in the first season to try to put emphasis on this kind of notion of the Prime Directive mm-hmm. and, and what it means to us. Yeah. They're, they're important things to talk
1: about. Yeah. So we start off, the Enterprise has been asked to check out a, a, a terraforming team on Valera 3 because they've had sort of erratic communications from from them. And, and they talk about the process of terraforming a planet and talk about, like, what kinds of people terraform and, you know, you have to be true visionaries and not see see the world for what it can be, not what it is, which actually that's it's kind of like people who fight for social justice are people who see a world for what it can be not what it is oh, I didn't think yeah, about that yeah, until definitely. just now but
0: that's yeah, yeah I think that makes sense it's uh they don't bring terraforming up very often in Star Trek but no. when they do it's like a major plot point to talk about power and power dynamics like what, what right do we have to sculpt a world and at what cost Yeah, or, you know in the movies that plays a big role too like in Wrath of Khan and
1: stuff right right absolutely and in this one there's, there's also an emphasis on what kinds of people like what kinds of people would choose to go into that lineup of work because it's very isolating and very grueling long work and yeah. they are stuck on this like schedule right so when they 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 hail the the crew hails uh, this team and for a while they get no response and then eventually director mandel answers and he's really irritable and he seems very tired and he's like oh we weren't expecting visitors and we're on this tight schedule and uh really would be an inconvenience if he would come down so you can see that this kind of work wears on people
0: yeah but troy also senses that he's very worried about their presence and concealing something yes. and that wanting that the, the enterprise showing up has has put him almost in a state of panic it
1: has yeah so Picard kind of tries to get like a polite invitation to go down to the planet and but he's met with this resistance of under the guise of our tight schedule. But Troy says it's not that it's it's that he's hiding something. Um, And then he ends up saying like, unless you are saying we can't come down, I'm sending my away team down.
0: Yeah, Troy, Troy's input is enough to make him say, okay, we need to figure out. What's yeah, going he out
1: actually this is a, another good episode for Troy. I think he he listens to her quite a bit. Yes, and so he sends down, he sends her down with the away team. So it's the usual Riker, Yar, LaForge, Data, and he sends Troy with them as well. And he he tells Riker to kind of just watch out because he's like, mm, this guy could behave unpredictably if he's that panicked. Mm-hmm. So on the planet, we meet. Well, we get the intro sequence, and then we meet uh, Louisa Kim. Arthur Mallinson and Bjorn Benson.
0: Bjorn's very interested in Data. He's like the engineer, I think. Of the planet. So is, yeah. He's kind of their tech guy. Yeah,
1: I like they have a really funny like interaction where he's like, where were you made? Are there others like you? And Data's like, it's yeah, a long story. grabbing his hand story. and like
0: looking at his palm and like massaging his hand and stuff. It's, it's so pretty cute. awkward. Yeah. <laughs> like, I am a like person.
1: Yeah. But then also when he's like, is there anyone else like you? And Data's like, I really don't want to talk about my brother right now.
0: Oh, yeah. I hadn't thought of it like that. <laughs> Yeah, awkward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Kim shows them around and Troy notes that she's like very open and excited. Actually, I was kind of thinking back to your previous point about the people that would be chosen to do this kind of work. Right. You'd probably have like very different personalities, even though they're all trying to accomplish the same thing. Mm-hmm. You'd have like, when you talk about those sort of visionary people that would be there like some of them would say oh we're creating this world for like future colonies and stuff but you might have some folk that come into it that are kind of more like megalomaniacs they're like you know we're we're shaping an entire planet yeah and but she comes across as very like charming and open and like just very like passionate about the work that she's doing and wanting to share it with people and she has this device It's like a giant model of the planet. And she has like almost like this little like magnifying glass thing that she can move around that model of the planet and and time lapse forward to show them what those parts of the planet would look like after several decades of terraforming work.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's cool. And she, yeah, she is a very like idealistic kind of visionary. Like Mm -hmm. she's, she is very much the like, I see this for what it can be. And this process is so cool. And we don't actually get a huge sense because We don't, the the other characters' personalities are kind of revealed more as the plot becomes apparent. But yeah, I agree. You could have, you could also have people who are just really interested in the science of it and not in the practice so much. Like who are just like, this is really cool scientific work. I don't care how it, what it ends up being. I just like the process. Mm -hmm. And then we get a couple important points that the Federation is responsible for determining whether a planet has any life on it or has the prospect of life forming on it. And if either of those things are true, then it wouldn't be an appropriate planet for terraforming.
0: Yeah, which is interesting because then the the implication there is that, and they talk about this too in the movies with the with the Genesis device, and, and I won't go into that too much, but it, the whole idea that the Prime Directive even applies to non-intelligent life. So even if there's yeah. like microscopic, even if there's a microbe on this planet that, you know, who in billions of years, it could evolve into a civilization and right. we're not going to disturb the planet in any
1: way. Right. But that's not the responsibility of this team. That's the responsibility of no. the Federation before they come in. Right. Uh, the yeah. other thing we learn is that the water on this planet is below the surface and it's very... Uh high in salt. So what their their next step before they introduce microbes to the environment, their next step is to start pumping and filtering the water. But they've mm-hmm. been having an issue with power surges in their hydraulic probes. And malinson kind of starts talking about this, but Benson cuts him off. Jordy's got some theory about what the problem could be. But then when malinson starts expanding on it, Benson's like, Arthur, stop it.
0: Keep it something quiet. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it too much. Very
1: right. obvious. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so Mendel apologizes again for being so, like, abrupt, and he blames the lack of social graces on, like, isolation and all the work on the planet. And he says Malin. He sends Malison to the. Hy- he's like, "Don't you have to go to the hydraulic chamber?" And Malison's like, "Right now." And he's like, "Yeah, right now." <laughs> it's just, a like, little ominous. Yeah. He's like, "Get out of here. Don't don't interact with them anymore." Yeah. LaForge Data notice that the water is in a thin, consistent layer between the sand and the rock. Mandel talks a little bit more about a precise schedule and stuff. And also, you see Troy like notices something. Yeah. That she can sense something's up, and she says Mallinson's in trouble. And then they can hear him like screaming through this door, and so they go run over to see what's up with him.
1: Yeah, but it's jammed. They can't get. In.
0: It's jammed. Yeah, I can't get him.
1: Until the screaming stops, basically. And they find him critically injured. And they have to, they're not, they won't even go to him until that room is powered down.
0: Yeah, because it has this laser drill inside yeah. of it. And he's been zapped a bunch with this laser drill. Yeah.
1: So they eventually they power down the room. Yar goes to him. It's like, yeah, no, let's get this guy to sick bay right now. And then Kim and Mandel also beam up with Riker uh, and Troy to the ship as well
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: and then we see our favorite detective sherlock data sherlock data investigating the laser's strange behavior and he says it, it he says there was something odd about it it's not possible that it just that that malinson was able to disable the laser it it seems that it was acting, he says, like with a will.
0: Yeah, that it was it seemed to want to harm. And
1: so uh, harm him, yeah. if, if there's a, so he starts to to run the program, the drilling program, and then the door closes on him and the laser starts shooting on him and you're shooting at him. And he's like, he's like, Jordy, there's a problem. And Jordy's like, what's going on? He's like, I can't explain right now.
0: Yeah, which I thought was funny because in the same amount of words he could have said the laser's shooting at me. Yeah.
1: But he like he's basically like don't ask me right now I'm I'm fixing it. I'll explain yeah. later.
0: We get these cool scenes where Data's like basically like sidestepping laser beams yeah. that are shooting at yeah, him. Yeah,
1: and then we don't see anything for a while. We just see like from from uh, LaForge and uh, Benson's perspective from outside the room, they're like, Data, Data. And they're like, we've got Picard on the communicator and they can't hear any, anything from him. And then he, he gets out. Eventually, the door opens and the, he's like destroyed the laser.
0: Yeah, he just ripped it apart. Totally.
1: Um, But he says that <laughs> it, was, it was anticipating him. Like there was a mind controlling the laser and <laughs> Benson's really upset with the destroyed laser.
0: He's like, yeah, he's like, it was a year of my work. This is gone. <laughs> God, and you're yeah. like, but dude, your laser was trying to yeah, kill him. Yeah, it so. wasn't,
1: wasn't working properly. Yeah. So up on the ship, um, Mandel is really upset. He doesn't believe, he's like, this is nonsense. He calls it like fairy tale. Um, and he says that Picard is overstepping his authority and basically he's like, I have a schedule to meet. I have to. So again, like, even though this the federation exists in a world where you know this it's not a capitalist society anymore i feel like we're still seeing capitalistic ideals play out so this project has killed one person and tried to kill another person and that mandel doesn't see that as like an automatic Let's pause the project. He's like, no, I've got all yeah. this work to do. Like that.
0: Yeah, we're at a schedule. I
1: feel like that tells you it might not have been intentional on the part of the writers, but I think that you can see the the real world's capitalistic ideals kind of bleeding into the into the show there.
0: Yeah, and I think there's there's pride and and ego wrapped up in the project. And mm-hmm. again, all that sunk. Cost, yeah. not just cost, but time. Totally. And but Picard's pretty straight with him. He's like, You're he's like, one of my crew members just died. He's like, Your schedule's on hold. Yeah. That's <laughs> it. Like it's paused. This is paused.
1: Yeah. Now. He actually Picard gets Yar to escort Mandel to his quarters when Mandel decides yeah, to. Yeah, that's leave.
0: A, it was a neat little yeah. moment there because he's he's about to leave and he asks him to stop for a moment and then assigns Yar to like escort him intentionally to his room.
1: That was the power move, I'd say.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just so you know, I'm, I'm suspicious as to what's and going I'm on. And I'm in
1: charge also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Data says that his belief, and he is certain of this, is that the laser was programmed to destroy any person moving in the room. So Picard says it must be one of the terraformers.
0: Right. Because who else could it be that's programming the laser? Who
1: else indeed? Who else indeed, Matthew?
0: mountain's dead. Yeah. And so the station is powered down, except for a remote power feed for life support, and Picard starts an investigation and of course sends his two investigators back down to the service, yes. the Forge and Data to figure out what's going on. And as they're there, they're in the same room where the laser was firing. Yeah. Data is looking down one of the shafts that's being carved out by the laser beam, which they're going to be using to siphon this water off. And he sees a flashing. And this is one of the cool things where they still, again, they're using Jordy for his vision. Yeah. He says, hey, Jordy, I need help trying to see what this yeah. is. So Jordy comes over to take a look at yeah.
1: it. Yeah. And so what he can see is that it's inorganic, meaning that there's no carbon in it. And all all life... That we know. Doesn't that
0: mean that they just use, they use pesticides to make it?
1: That is not, in fact, (laughs) what it means. (laughs) So, very important distinction. Yeah. Uh, Organic chemistry is the chemistry of things based on carbon.
0: Oh, not just a marketing term? It's not
1: just a marketing term. It means something totally different in that, (laughs) in that sense. He's like, it's inorganic. This has definitely been grown with, uh, with pesticides. For sure. <laughs> and Data's yeah. like, well, we don't care about things that use pesticides, so we can kill it. Well, so. you could
0: just eradicate them. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's possible that this is a life form. And I guess at this point in Star Trek, we haven't, I guess we're not as as familiar. But actually, okay.
1: Oh, yes, go on.
0: Side thing for a moment here. I've tried not to get too much on a tangent with this, but I feel like this episode could have been a more specifically data episode. Okay. Because as they're sitting there. LaForge is like, it can't be alive, it's inorganic. Data is sitting right beside him. Data is inorganic, and he is a life form. When I watch the episode again because I haven't seen it in a while. I was like, oh, maybe this is an episode where Data is the one that makes like contact or starts communicating with this entity because it's it's something he can relate to. It's an inorganic life form. Later on, as we'll see, it's sort of computer based, but that's not what they do. And I, I thought it was like an obvious miss that they have there in this one moment, because like literally he is standing right beside Geordi when Geordi makes that assertion.
1: So, okay, I have two things. One is, okay, I to be honest, I can't I I know very little about organic chemistry. I did study it when I was in high school, but I that was a long time ago and I haven't studied it since then. So, But like, what is data made out of? Like, is he not made out of anything carbon based? Because the thing with organic chemistry is that it used to be, from what I understand, it used to be the study of things that occur naturally in the world that are carbon based, but it has been adapted to the study of anything that is carbon based, even if it's like created by people.
0: I'm pretty sure that they when they mentioned the metals that data is made out of that they're not real. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I, I would I would imagine that data would count as an inorganic life form. But I think at this point, the discussion as to data and sentience and what it yeah, we life, haven't I haven't really gone into that yet. So I might be being unfair to the future evolution of this plot line.
1: What I was a little confused about was that there was a whole episode about silicone based life In the original series. And did they not keep records of that? Did that... Like, there was a whole episode.
0: Maybe that that script was hidden somewhere on a shelf when people were doing their homework. You know, like, it's just... It would
1: have been... And I feel like they could have mentioned it to be like, oh, this is a thing that... I don't know. It was just a little weird. Because when you discover something like this... I feel like it's beneficial to share it with the greater scientific community.
0: Yeah, I was wondering about that too because I'm pretty sure that in Star Trek they have encountered inorganic life already at this point in the series. But I it's okay because I I think what they're saying is like let's let's forget about that in the context of this episode so at least we can have this story right. that examines the way we consider life and within the context of the prime directive.
1: Yeah. Okay, yeah. so they beam this Thing It's like a little tiny thing that flashes. You can't even tell when they're looking down that shaft. you can't even tell what it is. It just looks like flashing light. But then they mm-hmm. beam it up and it's like a little
0: ball, yeah, it's and it's microscopic,
1: yeah, it's super tiny. They put it in a little bell jar. And Crusher says that organic life is defined by the ability to assimilate, respirate, reproduce, grow and develop, move, secrete, and excrete
0: all the best things
1: best things that we do. And maybe inorganic life can be, growth and development, and reproduction. Maybe those two things are what we need to, for, for life if it's, if it's not organic. And she mm-hmm. decides we're going to use the scientific method. We're going to observe, theorize, and test our theories and try to, try to prove that what we think is happening is actually happening.
0: Right. Science.
1: Science. So they observe it. So we got Crusher, LaForge, Picard, Data, Wesley observing this thing. They've got like a computer looking at it and they magnify and then it starts to hum in response to them looking at it.
0: Yeah, and they, they get the computer to analyze the flashes, the patterns of flashing. And at first, it can't find a flashing pattern. And then it, it makes this a jump that I thought was... I'm like, okay, I understand they're going to fit the whole thing in <laughs> one episode. Because they're like, computer theorize, what do you think it is? And the computer's like, life. And I was like, wow, that was...
1: I like that too. That's an
0: incredible conclusion to come to you that quickly. But yeah, okay, we'll roll with
1: yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I like that. Because I, like the fact that you can tell your computer to theorize... <laughs>
0: And the computer discovers life on its You're own. The just
1: like, oh, okay, if I'm not gonna... Because Crusher's like, ignore the incongruities and just take your best guess.
0: Yeah. And given that this thing's like silico based or whatever, that's like, it's like there's a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, but she'd ate the enterprise the, computer. The enterprise computer's like, don't worry, little microbe. I've got your back. You're alive. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell yeah. them.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, uh, Mandel is really shocked about the possibility that there is a life form. And Picard basically implies that Mandel knew about this life form and is, is was purposely or knowingly defying the prime directive. And mm-hmm. Ma- Mandel is offended by this. And he says, I create life. I don't destroy it, or I don't take it.
0: Yeah, and it was, you know, you could feel it in the character at that point. Like, they they take pride in this work to try to create life, to create home for life. But I thought all of them played this really well in terms of the cognitive dissonance they're feeling. Yeah. And, you know, we'll see this play out more when they start asking them, like, were you certain or not? And then, mm. like, it's almost like they gaslighted themselves. They're not even really sure. Yeah. And Troy confirms that, you know, when they start, well, after he leaves the room and they're trying to get, figure out what Troy feels and senses from him, is that he did know about the life form, but that the, the idea that he was murdering something shocked him. So it's almost like he was able to compartmentalize that Yeah. in his head.
1: Can I just say that there's a really great moment where Riker starts to talk and Picard like puts his hand up to tell him to stop talking and then asks for Troy Troy's analysis that Riker's like wow Picard you really let him have it and he's like shut up Will
0: yeah, he's like, there's a reason for that because he wanted a yeah. strong reaction from it. It makes it more emotionally vulnerable for Troy to be able to read him properly. Yeah. yeah. See these those dynamics are are great in the characters, right? You're like, ah, they're they're bouncing off each other's skills and talents. Yeah.
1: And then so he also he he had earlier asked uh, Yar to do investigating on these these people's histories and what they would be capable of and what what motives they might have. And Yar says that he he's got a background in computer science, advanced computer science. Mm-hmm. He could have reprogrammed the laser to do what it did, and maybe if Malinson was was trying was going to find out about this life form. Then maybe that gave Mandel the motive to program the laser to kill him.
0: Yeah, and there's a fun moment here where Riker's wondering about Kim. Yeah, and then Troy says, "Well, maybe you'd be better at reading her than than she would be." <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, okay."
1: I w- I thought I was going to have to put a tick on my tally of relations. I'm glad I didn't You're have in this to. One? <laughs> but, yeah. Um. It's it's a bit of a weird scene.
0: Yeah. I, they, keep it, they keep it kosher. They, they do, Ooh, but it's. Fine. I feel
1: like it is a little bit like, you know, these, these two men are getting worked up about things and then this woman just can't keep herself together. She's just crying. So we'll send Riker. And, yeah, let's send Riker to talk to this poor crying woman and she's very sad. There's life. This was a year of my work and I didn't know. And yeah, but she, she is very sad. But it, the thing that she seems to be sad about is all of the work that she put into this falling apart. She doesn't seem super sad about the life Form itself.
0: Yeah, I think it was both. It might have been a bit of both. I see. I got the sense from her that she's still like th- they're intentionally. The story is trying to set her up as the innocent one. Yeah, and that she she didn't know they all kept it from her. Probably because she would have been the one who was most concerned about the fact that they would have been stepping on the territory or probably a, yeah. another another species. So so anyways, while the, the scene is definitely has like a sexist yeah. undertone to it, it's I I appreciated that they had at least that one character who like just sincerely was interested in creating a new world
1: i mean i would say that what they could have done to make it less sexist is to not have it be three men and one woman who works on that planet
0: yep that's it another would have one.
1: been or they could, they could have had it be four women who work on that planet or three women and one man they didn't have to do it that way and so anyway just yeah you know representation i was also just
0: thinking more of like intentionally sending Riker
1: <laughs> to be yeah learned, well to be yeah learned. that too <laughs> yeah for
0: sure <laughs> Back in the medical lab, LaForge has observed like a shift in the energy pattern because, again, he's able to use his visor to scan uh, more deeply than the computer can. There's been that the hum is stopped and they deactivate the magnification and the life form projects this energy field and then reproduces. And also there's two blinky little lights inside of this little bell jar now.
1: Yeah. So Crusher's like, OK, let's make a quarantine field. But then that like doesn't work like it. It gets full. Uh, so she's like, okay, evacuate the lab. Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. But then the computer is like patching through translation request. And Picard's like, what? who's requesting a translation? And we hear this like weird garbled static. And Crusher's like, get out of here. Stuff is happening.
0: Yeah, we need to leave.
1: So basically, they get out of there. And Picard is like, okay, well, looks like we're dealing with uh, intelligent life. Yeah. Because it's trying to communicate with us. So he and he and Troy meet with the... Terraforming team. And so Mandel exists. Sorry, Mandel admits that he knew of the existence of something. Something. But he saw it as random energy patterns, not life. And he, you know, he says, we were assured many times that this planet had no life on it. So that is an important piece that like, it's both important, but it's also like a way of deflecting that they are not the ones responsible for finding out whether there is life on this planet.
0: Yeah, and it makes me wonder, like, in in terms of when we find similar circumstances on our own planet now, on things like pipeline construction, right? if when you have so many multiple departments and then government agencies and everything, like, it's almost like you'd have this deflection of responsibility, like, no one person is responsible for saying, I'm pulling the trigger to displace people or destroy the environment or right. you know, break treaties or spend the money. And so it's like you, you have this sort of amorphous entity and all parts of it are sort of not beholden necessarily to, to they're that accountable to the other. So yeah. I, I wonder if you have a similar circumstance.
1: Yeah, like basically we were told it was okay. So we didn't have to check and see whether it was okay.
0: So we can proceed. Yeah. And we'll just keep ignoring our own conscience. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So they, ba- what they saw was like, like, patterns in the sand. I, and so they say, like, like Kim... It, so Benson and, and Mandel knew of these patterns in the sand. They didn't yeah. tell Kim about it because it wasn't important. Um, and I think, like, I don't know that this is the characters being sexist, but I think in the writing there is some sexism in there, for sure. But they, like you said before, they kind of start to look at this through what they know now and also through Picard being very adamant about getting answers. And yeah. he's like, did you at any point think that this could be something trying to communicate with you? And Benson is like, I I didn't think that at the time. But now everything you're saying, it really makes sense that it could have been that.
0: And it could be that. It could be the case as well. Like some of that compartmentalization is yeah. coming apart or the fact that you're, it'd be pretty hard to continue to deny I mean, at one point, they say that the the patterns in the sand become, like, geometric shapes. Yeah. Like, obviously, that's something trying to communicate with you. Well, at least in the Star Trek universe. It would yeah. be, right? But if I'm walking around, and I see random geometric patterns appearing in sand somewhere. I'm going to be like, okay, well, it's, there, there's, that's intelligence.
1: But this also gets to what I was thinking of before with, like, oh, I'm not really sick. I can go into work. That the justifications that we make for ignoring things that, like, I can say oh, I'm not sick, I'm not going to spread this to anyone, it's just allergies, right? right? And then, you know, when I have a fever and I'm in bed, I can look back and be like, okay, no, I've definitely been sick for a week, but I was just ignoring it. But at the time, there's that plausible deniability.
0: And we don't know what pressure they're under. Maybe they're under a lot of pressure from the Federation to get these planets terraformed. Yeah. Um, That would have been an interesting dimension if they had added that in there, to say, like, the planet was cleared and we're under a great deal of pressure to get it finished. Yeah. You know, so maybe we don't know. That yeah. could be part of it.
1: So then they, they managed to get a visual back on the on the life form and it has reproduced again. And Mandel looks at it and he's like, okay, no, this is nothing like what we saw on the planet. We we didn't see anything like this mm-hmm. at all. There's a nice scene, I think, where, like, LaForge and Data and Worf are, are analyzing the chemical makeup of the life form and, like, what its different components and elements do. And I realized, like, we haven't seen a whole lot. We haven't had any, like, Worf heavy storylines but we have had these glimpses of his personality that are really funny so there's a part yeah. where he's like but is it alive and the computer is as probability positive and Worf's like i wasn't asking you
0: <laughs> yeah, he looks right back at the screen he's like i wasn't asking you." <laughs> wasn't
1: talking to you <laughs> computer. Hilarious. like yeah he's looking at, at laforge and data and talking to them and then the computer talks and he's like wasn't talking to you
0: <laughs> Worf doesn't have time for all the nuances yeah he's like no Engineering notes that the quarantine seal around the lab is fluctuating and weakening. And at the time, they're trying to redirect backup power, but the power just keeps going somewhere else. Like the now it's it seems that the life form is actually able to communicate with the enterprise computer and, and to get it to do things.
1: Yeah. And we get our first mention of a washroom. Because oh, I missed that. Programmers, or the, the engineer says that it's locked three people in a turbo lift and two people in the programmer's restroom.
0: Oh, I didn't catch
1: first, that. First, first bathroom mention on Star Trek. I think people
0: go to the bathroom in the future. Yeah, stuff, weird. I guess so. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, so then the lifeform keeps reproducing, and then it starts like flashing like lightning out of it, and basically like turns off the the quarantine seal. And then the universal translator starts to work, and we get our iconic line of this episode. What does it say, Matthew? Ugly, ugly Giant. bags of mostly water.
0: Which is hilarious. And they're like, what? And Data Explains like, well, sir, humans are over 90% water surrounded by a flexible container.
1: That's all we are is bags of mostly water.
0: That's true. Giant
1: bags of mostly Ugly is subjective. And I guess giant is relative to this microscopic life form. But
0: it's throwing some shade because they are concerned, obviously, about the attack of their home world. Yeah. So I, I think it's okay for them to say that maybe they're maybe he thinks ugly in terms of their personality. Maybe.
1: Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, So basically the life form has wanted these people gone and was trying to communicate before, but they didn't listen. So the crew, Picard and Troy, they try to explain like, we just didn't hear you before. But the, the life form says that the bags in the dome, so that's the terraforming crew, they did know and they caused us death. So war is now with you and then attacks the ship. So makes the ship like shake.
0: Yeah, they start to refer to refer to it as a micro brain.
1: I kind of like that.
0: Yeah, it's funny, and they say they basically it's a computer. This is another one of those things where I think Warf at this point actually says, "Well, it is a computer." Yeah, and this is like an, and Data. There's actually another camera angle in Data here. Where I thought Data could be like, "So am I?" Like another one <laughs> of those things where. You know, he's also in an organic, also a computer where I thought they would make those threads and they didn't. But that's okay. Yeah. There's an intensity decrease in the infrared radiation that it's giving off. And Crusher hypothesizes that this could be the prelude to another reproduction.
1: Yeah. So they try to beam it back to the planet, but that doesn't work. It redirects the transporter power. And Picard is like, okay, this this might be a life form, but the the safety of the ship is is my priority. So he first tries to evacuate all, all the air from the lab, but the computer controls aren't working. The environmental controls on the lab aren't working the, because right. the life, the microbrain is interacting with the with the computer. So we get that. Right. Bzz, 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 bzz.
0: I want my computer to make that noise whenever it fails. I know, something. I
1: love it. So they figure out that they that thin layer of of saline that was between the sand and the rock. Uh, they realize that that was how these single cell life forms connected to each other right. and Crusher kind of explains that like brain cells on their own aren't intelligent but when they when they connect they are so right. Malinson was trying to siphon off the water, which would have destroyed this life form. And Picard says that's a reason enough for anyone to go to war.
0: Yeah, he says it in that very, like, stoic tone, yeah. a reason enough for anyone to go to war. Yeah. The life forms turn into this, like, crystal thing, and they expend a lot of energy when reproducing, but there's no power drain on the ship's system. So they're like, okay, well, where... Where are they getting the power from? And there's an hypothesis. Well, maybe they're photoelectric. Actually, Data's really intense about He's it. He's so like intense. over the back. <laughs> and you're like, it's one of those moments where you're like, Data, are you feeling things right now? It's
1: funny because when he came out of the room after destroying the laser, he was like eerily calm, but now he's yep. like so excited.
0: Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm okay with these moments. I think they get toned down. Brent Spiner kind of tones Data down a little bit more after the first season. But the times when Data does show almost like a hint of emotion through the series, it's usually in terms of like curiosity and yeah. wonder about yeah. something. And I, I appreciate that about him.
1: I also, I don't, I, I would say it's not like an inconsistency. the character like he doesn't understand emotion but I or he he talks about not understanding emotion but I always felt like he just had a different way of accessing emotion that maybe maybe isn't as common among humans but Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. then it's it's not that like yeah I never saw that kind of thing as like hey you said data's emotionless and but now here he is showing excitement like I always felt very consistent with the character
0: yeah he kind of calls out over the bridge that uh, it, it's probably photoelectric. So Kim says that the life form must have evolved that way because at that lower level where light got through the sand into the water. So if they drop the centimeter, she's like, yeah, drop the water a centimeter below the light penetration level and they will starve to death yeah. and die. Yeah,
1: yeah. They can't turn the lights off remotely because they can't access the control. So Riker has to go to the lab to do it. So he goes, he does it. And then the microbrain brain is like, no, give us more light. The bags of water are killing us. And... It's a weird scene because on the one hand I understand why Picard is doing this because the microbrain is destroying the ship, but also it actually reminded me a little bit of the Far Point station jellyfish, where Picard's like, I'll give you enough power to communicate with me, but
0: Oh, like the start. Yeah, with, with not enough
1: control. power to fight yeah. back. And it, it, it makes sense because the ship is in danger, but also it made me a little uncomfortable.
0: I'm trying to... I, I can hear you. I hear what you're saying. I was trying to think of what other move they might have in that situation. I can't think of another and one. I can't think of one either. So it's... You know, but he's trying to get them to to trust them. And obviously it doesn't. He's like, I don't... You know, we don't trust you. You're too arrogant, primitive. Yeah.
1: The microbrain says, darkness, death, terrible. Must go home to wet sand. War over.
0: Yeah. So, so they're like, they, okay, we lost.
1: I guess... That's kind of how it ends. <laughs> then they beam <laughs> they beam the microbrain back.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a, it's a bit of an anticlimactic ending. It's just sort of over. <laughs> yeah. And then they just beam them back and it's like, okay, the end.
1: It, ta- I mean, it takes more time than we are saying it. They kind of like. Not a lot. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, Riker Riker goes in and and looks at it and uh, Mandel and Troy and Picard kind of apologize each in their own way. And yeah, the microbrain says like, no, I don't trust you, but you know, come back in three centuries and maybe by then you will have evolved into something that we can trust. Yeah. And and Picard is like, I understand what you're saying. Like basically he's like, okay, yeah, we'll leave you alone forever.
0: And yeah, then he's like, they beat them down to the planet and then he's like, and we'll declare an indefinite quarantine around Valera three. And then it just shows the Enterprise flying off. That was that's it. Yeah, I think I think think he makes
1: a comment like hopefully, you know, other people will learn from this mistake. Yeah. And that's I guess that's our PSA for
0: Yeah. Like again kind of thinking about what we were talking about at the beginning, like what you know, what corners are we willing to cut, even in our own morality.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: In order to push a project like this forward. Yeah. And who has maybe in the unfortunate circumstance of having to ignore their better judgment in order to make that happen? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Any other thoughts?
0: It's again, it's another one of the episodes in the season that I, I like. It's good. Yeah. I mean the, the the voice the voice acting on part of the <laughs> microphone is pretty hilarious. But it's an interesting idea in in how Again, we're trying to, we're trying to flex the prime directive and to see where else it applies. And it's not just necessarily to interfering with uh, an intelligent civilization or pre warp civilization, but it's also like to these microbes and to the future evolutionary path of an entire world.
1: Yeah. I think that, that point you brought up at the beginning, um, about like it comes up in the, in the movies as well about how it's not just, uh, like it's about what is this planet capable of? Mm-hmm. the non-interference clause or the non-interference uh prime directive it's not it's yeah it's not just about what effect are we having right now but what future effects can we have i think that's that's a really important one and i think that that now that i'm saying this i think that that is something that we as a society i think need to pay a little bit more attention to
0: oh yeah i mean like we're always about short-term gains
1: yeah but thinking about yeah like like pipelines and that kind of thing or the sunk cost fallacy and okay what effect do we have right now that's important but what's the future effect going to be and we really don't
0: yeah we have we don't seem there doesn't seem to be a lot of that kind of forward thinking no you know because when you think about it the the forward thought on a decision like this is billions of years yeah on a world if you're trying to say like oh we don't even we want to even preserve the microscopic like in this case it turned out to be intelligent
1: Right, but But even if it 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 worked, it didn't matter.
0: Yeah, it's it's still like it doesn't matter if there's even like any kind of microscopic anything. We need to think about the like, the future evolution of this world. And it's it's that kind of science. That kind of connection to our own planet and its age. Yeah. And what it takes for, like, ecology to be damaged and to regenerate. Like, that doesn't seem to go... That long, long-term thinking, like, actual long-term thinking... Yeah. ...into what our planet really is and how life, like, changes and is, is impacted doesn't really go into our policy making. Do you ever hear, like, politicians talk about billions of years into the future? Millions? Thousands? Not often. Not if ever.
1: No. And... Not even like hundreds.
0: Yeah, or, or dozens. Like it's, it's almost. And we're yeah.
1: looking at like what's going on with the, our planet right now. We're looking at a much smaller scale and people still can't agree to enact policy that's going to fix it on a smaller scale.
0: And I also, I understand that too, because if so many people are in a position where they're thinking about just their next meal, yeah, right? It, it's really hard to collectively come together. And I think, I, I believe that that's intentional. If you have people just worrying about like subsistence, mm-hmm. well, then they also aren't concerned or are going to be, it's going to be difficult for them to be concerned about like billions of years in the future. Think about starving now. Yeah.
1: Another thing that I, I kind of wanted to talk about on the topic of terraforming And this is, again, something that came up from that same podcast episode that I was listening to about like science crimes and stuff like that. They talked a little bit about terraforming. And I was I know that you, uh, Matthew, are very interested in in the prospect of space exploration. That's something that's really important to you. And I know that you have had conversations with people who are like, well, shouldn't we fix problems on Earth before we go out to space? And I I think that that's a like a a false again, a false dichotomy, partly because we can do both, but also because I think when you have, you know, when you have exploration for the sake of curiosity, rather than just to fix something, I think you're actually more likely to find more creative solutions to problems than if you're just focusing on the problem that you're trying to solve. Yes. Like you have to have science for science's sake. Um, But what I what what I worry about when people talk about terraforming and and space exploration is that and this comes from a lot of like science fiction. But Often it has to do with the fact that this planet was used up. So people have to go elsewhere. And in that sense, I think that it, it that is a thing where like, no, we should be focusing on preserving this planet, not finding other ones that we can destroy once we've destroyed this one.
0: Yeah, and right now, the narrative around colonization, especially going to Mars, seems very much in that latter version, where it's – we're having very powerful billionaires who are talking about the planet getting used up. And yeah. you're like, that's not what I imagined why we were going off into space for. It wasn't because, oh, we'll just – this planet's going to get screwed over, so we'll take the wealthy and powerful of us and go to another world. Right. No, that's that wasn't the point. That's not why – that's not the way I ever imagined it. And I don't think it's the way Star Trek envisioned it either.
1: No, because Earth is still thriving.
0: Yeah. And so to me, I – I guess the best word I could use, the best sentiment is I'm actually kind of really – I know that we're in a stage now where we're there's more space stuff going on than like at any point in my life. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually kind of disappointed by it. That's yeah. For me, it was like the crossing into the threshold of the final frontier. The, the the crossing, the very crossing of that boundary, I think was very much more in a Star Trek viewpoint. Is that in order for us to do that, it required for us to come together, to work together, and to bring the best of ourselves into space. Like space demanded us to be our best in order to make it out there. But that's not who's that. That's not what's happening right no. now. I mean, we are sending highly qualified, incredible people to be going up into space. But the projects are also being led by people that whose motivations I question.
1: I mean, we're also sending not so qualified people to go with them.
0: Yeah, we are. Yes, yes, that is happening too. (laughs) So I don't I don't know. I honestly don't know how to feel about it sometimes. I'm glad that we that we the technology is being developed. Yeah, but I didn't want it to just be billionaires sending their vision off into the universe. And, you know, without any kind of like, recourse or feedback from the rest of society you know the rest of us don't really have any input into it at all yeah you know this isn't a reunified earth after like a dark time going off into space and then bringing unity to the galaxy that's i don't think that's what's happening right now
1: no (laughs) definitely not this is while the dark time is going on we're sending people into the galaxy Yeah.
0: yeah and so it's yeah, yeah, I've been really, I've been really conflicted about the whole thing. Yeah. Thank you for asking about that because I, yeah, I haven't had a chance to really chat about it yeah. a lot. So, uh, and sometimes I feel like I'm supposed to be more excited about it. Like people will ask and say, like, "Aren't you really excited about what's going on with SpaceX and you know all these projects going on?" And I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm also mm-hmm. kind of worried. I, I was never interested in just going to space for the sake of going to space. You know, I wanted it to make us better. yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And again, I think that relates to how we define progress, because I 100% agree with you. And I bet there are people who say, well, it is making us better, because it's going to contribute to economic growth or stuff like that, which, as sure. we just discussed, doesn't apparently include like the the health and wellness of the actual people. Yeah. So
0: yeah, and hopefully the two find more because uh, there there has been in the past, like a great at least in terms of technology, a symbiotic relationship between development of of space exploration technology and how it can benefit people on Earth. Mm -hmm. And I think that that still happens. But unless like, Right now, honestly, I'm like, if all of our efforts aren't really being directed toward climate change, <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. So, and and we can still do that because I think like some of the ways that we might learn to live on another world, like Mars, right, creates technology that is like efficient and is uh, uses green, like renewable power and technology, and and uh, so we could we could do that to help us here. But I don't think that's the main reason why we're developing these these technologies.
1: Right no. Now. We're su- we're developing them so that we can send ugly giant sacks of mostly water to
0: Mars. <laughs> to space, <laughs> to Mars. Uh, anyways.
1: All right. I think that's it.
0: Yep. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice.
1: Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at nathannun.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram at firstlinkpod or send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com to let us know what you think about going to space and fixing this planet. I'm Ruthie.
0: And I'm Matthew. And if someone's leaving you some geometric patterns on the ground, pay attention to them.